the first ever recording of the brand new podcast, The Coach's View. My name is Harry Brooks, and each week I'll be joined by co-host Richard Webster. Hello, Richard. Hi, mate. How are you doing? You okay? Yeah, very well. Thanks, mate. Looking forward to this. Excited by it. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it should be good. So myself and Richard are also going to be regularly joined by special guests. And for our first ever podcast, we've had to make sure that we've pulled out the bag. So today, in a little while, we're going to be joined by Spurs Academy coach and Guyana International Sam Cox. I know I speak on behalf of me and you, Richard, when I say that we're both really excited to be joined by Sam. Our first ever guest, he's one of the better guys in football. So we're going to be talking, you know, his experiences in the world of football, what he's currently doing, um, keeping himself sane in this crazy time. I know he's got a Just Giving page for the NHS, which is great, and we'll be talking about that. So I know I'm really excited to be speaking to Sam. Yeah, 100%. He's going to be a great guest and he's got a really interesting story. So really looking forward to that today. Yeah, he certainly does. Um, I guess a good place to start will be explaining who we are exactly and what this podcast will be about and why listeners will hopefully enjoy hearing us ramble on. So, so both myself and Richard come from a coaching background. We work with professional and academy players across the UK, Europe and even world as well as the clubs themselves. So we'll hopefully be able to provide you guys with inside knowledge, information, and our opinions on the world of football, professional and youth. I do work for Richard, believe it or not, for an independent academy called Round World. So I guess, Richard, you're probably best placed to explain who we are exactly and some of the projects we have on the go. Perfect, mate. Yeah, so so Harry said it um, spot on there, mate. Um, so we run an independent academy called Round World Academy, which runs out of North London. Um, one of the main things that we do there is to try and help young players to reach their potential in football and just help them along their football journey. So we're trying to help guys to bridge the gap, basically, between grassroots football and academy football. It's not just about that. We're just trying to help uh, young people reach their potential using football as the, um, as the tool to do that. So, so keeping their passion for the game, it might be that they want to achieve getting into the school team playing for the county but then we also uh, have a lot of success uh, pushing boys into um, academy football as well and then beyond that to help their careers when they hopefully become scholars and, and young pros so quite exciting it gets us um, into football it, it, it means we've been exposed to a lot of academies in, um, in the UK and abroad so we've got a whole breadth of, uh, a whole breadth of uh, knowledge um, from the academy system and it's allowed us to um, stay involved in football and, and help young people along their journey. So it's quite an exciting project. Yeah, completely. And obviously, I'm delighted to be working for you for the Independent Academy. But myself and you also have another project on the go, don't we, where we're more working hand in hand, aren't we, rather than me for you, uh, called the Royals. And I know that's something that uh, a lot of people are certainly interested in. So do you want to explain a bit about the Royals and what that's about? Yeah, so the Royals is a really cool project, which kind of grew naturally out of the academy. Um, that's sort of an offshoot from the academy. What we do with the Royals is work with the higher-end players, the guys who are, are mostly already at clubs. So a lot of the guys we're working with are high achievers, and they'll be playing for the top clubs, such as Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, 
Manchester City, all of the clubs in England. Um, and we're also looking after players who, who play abroad, uh, maybe in, in Holland or Germany or different countries. And we're just trying to provide those young players with a bit of a bit of an extra um, extra edge for whatever they might need. It could be coaching, it could be analysis, put an extra pair of eyes on their game to give them some pointers. It could be mentoring. That's really, really important for young people. Um, so everything that they need on the pitch and off the pitch, just trying to help them while they're making those first really, really important steps, hopefully towards playing professional football. So that's, a, that's another exciting project. Yeah, definitely. One of about a million, I think, me and you have on the go right now, mate. And uh, obviously, this is a new project, the podcast, and I know it's something that we're very excited about. But rather than hearing me and you ramble on anymore, I think it's time to get our first guest on. What do you think? 100%, mate. Let's get him in. So without further ado, we are delighted to be joined by Spurs Academy coach and Guyana International, Sam Cox. Hello, Sam. How you doing? How are you? Okay, mate? Yeah, really good. Yourself? Good, yeah. Not too bad, thank you. Hanging in there and um, keeping as busy as I can be, being productive. Yeah, I was, was going to say, so obviously I guess the first question has to be, how are you doing and how are you keeping yourself busy in this crazy time? Yeah, to be honest, mate, um, I, I find myself uh, probably more busy than, than usual, to be honest. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do new things and, and, and look into new things and also um, staying busy with with what's on schedule with the under 15s at the moment and um, helping them with their program. Uh, I'm, I'm ticking over myself, obviously. And my season's still on hold in the National South, so I've got to make sure that I'm in good physical condition as well. So I've, I've turned my living room into a, as what, part-time, part-time gym. I've got a load of weights, dumbbells and Z bars, straight bars. And so I'm, I'm banging out the upper body, lower body and, doing some uh, physical in the afternoon over the park. So, yeah, I'm keeping as busy as I can, mate. Fantastic, fantastic. And also, we're going to talk about it later, but you've also set up a Just Giving page for the NHS, which is obviously a fantastic thing. Thank you, mate. Yeah, no, I have. No, that's, you know, that's brilliant, mate. We're going to obviously talk about that later. Um, but obviously, you've already said a few things now that I think a lot of people will be quite interested in because your journey in football is quite unique, really, and fascinating. So... Do you want to explain quickly to people that are listening just exactly how you started in football and your journey in football to date? Yeah, so um, so obviously I've I've been uh, I've been you know playing football since as early as I can remember. To be honest, my dad was was hugely passionate about the game, and he got me into the game nice and early. Um, you know, started at a grassroots club called the Watling Boys Club. Uh, when my dad actually coached me and, um, you know, he managed the the side and, you know, I developed a passion and uh, a love for the game um, and actually found out along the way that I was not too bad. So uh carried on playing and um, before long, you know, I was, I was getting, I was getting the attraction from, from various clubs uh, from the age of probably about nine, um, went on trial to various clubs and, um, you know, it, it just, it just didn't quite happen for me. Uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, some said technically I wasn't good enough. Some said I was too small. So I did my, I did about three different clubs from the age of nine to fourteen, um, and in the meantime, still carrying on playing grassroots, playing my school football, um, and just enjoying the game really. Um, but you know, they they get to a stage where you know you start having that, having doubts, um, start having fears of you know possibly this might not work out for me you know I was getting to 14 I think 15 14 15 years old I think and um, you know a lot of my friends were in clubs and in academies and 
Um, there was me that was, you know, probably doing well at grassroots level and school level and district level, but not quite getting that opportunity. And like I said, I'd, I'd gone to a few clubs and it hadn't worked out. So I was feeling quite doubtful, to be honest. And um, it was the London Youth Games um, we played in for Brent. And um, yeah, I, I remember I captained the, the, the side that won the London Youth Games in 2005, I think it was. And at that time, I got, um, yeah, I got scouted by... Uh, Spurs and asked to go down to some development centres over in Hackney, um, which I did. I, I think I played two games for the development centres over there. And I remember one of the games was taken by Chris Ramsey, Bradley Allen and Perry Suckling. And um, they picked me out as one of the players that they wanted to bring down to the academy and um, take up a six-week trial, which I did, which was fantastic at the time. Um, I was kind of going into the trial with a mentality of, you know what, I've got to give this everything because if not, you know, I've really got to start focusing on, you know, my, my education, well, you know, education was, was primary anyway, but I mean, in terms of, you know, a future, I was, I was doing quite well in school. So, you know, I, 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 it was either give this a real shot or I'm going to really knuckle down and focus on, you know, maybe something to do with sports journalism or something. And, um, went on a six week trial, um, done quite well. And, um, I remember getting pulled in the office by Chris Ramsey after the six weeks and pulled me and my dad in. He said, we'd like to offer you um, a contract. So, you know, that was, that was um, you know, a great day and, and one that I'll you know, remember for the rest of my life. And it was a proud moment. Um, and then from then on, um, obviously got my scholarship a year later. Um, done two years working under John McDermott, Alex Singlethorpe. Um, and then... Following year after that, I I managed to get a professional contract at the club. So, you know, it all happened quite quickly. Um, I was probably the the last to come in my age group, um, a very talented age group. Um, some, most of which are playing, you know, international and domestic domestic football at the top level at the moment. So, you know, I'm very proud to have come through that age group. And since then, um, I've, I've played league football, played at Barnet, Torquay, Cheltenham. Um, slipped into non-league in about 2012, I think it was. Um, went to Hayes and Yedin, Boreham Wood, Wildstone. Currently find myself at Hampton and Richmond um, and also playing for my national team, Guyana. So that's pretty much my journey. It's been a roller coaster, but, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's been a fantastic one and I've, I've met some great people along the way. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing it's a journey that obviously you're very, very proud to look back on and, you know, you've com- accomplished a lot, you know, you know, you've represented your country, you've captained your country and, you know, also, you know, you were the, you were the captain of the first time that Guyana ever qualified for the World, for the um, Gold Cup, weren't you? So, yeah, you know, those are you. huge, huge achievements. You must look back at it very fondly and very proudly. Yeah, I, th- I think especially the summer, like you said, uh, getting to captain my country at the, at the Gold Cup, um, you know, for the first time in our history, I, I, I would look back on that as my proudest achievement and, um, you know, even now it's it, it's hard to comprehend that, you know, obviously playing um, at the level that I'm playing at and coaching also, it's, you don't expect to be getting those experiences at, at this stage of my career. And, um, you know, it's something that I'm, I'm hugely proud of. And it, it just shows you can be elevated in this game at whatever time. It, it just comes like that. And that's why you've just got to maintain a good attitude throughout and, and, and try your best. And that's all you can do is, is, is give your best and see where it goes. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, obviously, because 
being, you know, working with an independent academy, you run world, etc. The question we get asked probably more than most is, you know, is it too late being 15, 16? And we always give the same answer that, no, it's not too late. Um, anything's possible. And obviously you're, you are proofing that because even years and years ago, it was, probably, it was even more rare that, you know, players would go on and join a certain club like Tottenham at a later age. But obviously you're proofing the pudding that it can happen. It's never too late. Um, and the age isn't really a factor as much as it was anyway. No, no, for sure. Um, do you know what? At, at the end of the day, if you maintain a good mentality and you truly believe in your ability and truly believe that you're worthy of, you know, being at a level, then, you know, the, there's the possibilities that they can be endless, to be, to be honest. I've come across players. Um, I remember I was uh, at Barnet. I remember um, I did a work experience at Barnet with Ian Hendon. Um, I think the year I turned pro at Spurs and there was a young Yannick Velassi there. Um, and they they just come up from the conference, I think it was. And Yannick had been, you know, floating about non-league and, you know, found himself at Barnet. And I remember that his belief and his his mentality, you, you just knew that he was destined to, you know, go and play at a high level. And that's exactly what he'd done. Um, you know, coming from non-league, it, it just shows you just play your football, enjoy it, get games under your belt, Keep a, keep a strong mentality, then the possibilities are endless. So, um, you know, it is, to be honest, I, I, with a, my coaching hat on now, and I look at the system and I do see players coming in later and coming in, you know, 14, 15, 16, they do have their possibly technical shortcomings if they haven't been in an academy previous to that. But there's always room and, and space in, in, in clubs for players that, you know, have that honesty and authenticity and integrity and, and that grit that comes from grassroots and comes from non-league. Um, I think they're, they're certainly tools that you can work with and develop and, and mould into a, into a top player. I was, I was going to say, I think that's a fantastic message for young players. I mean, that's what myself and Harry do, you know, same as yourself, being a coach day in, day out, working with young players. And that message of... Um, uh, self-belief and mentality and just sticking with it and making sure you're fit and getting the games and the fact that you never know when football can uh, sort of lift you up. I think that's a great message. Because yeah. there's a lot of stories that, that probably don't get aired about the, um, about the latecomers, about the late bloomers. And a lot of people, from the outside, it's easy to see footballers. As, if you see a footballer, a very successful footballer, you might think they've had one long stream of success. Um, but it's, it's never like that. So when you're telling stories about the ups and downs, about, you know, captains your country at the Gold Cup at a later stage in your career, uh, the story about Yannick Balassi, it just goes to show that it's not a, it's not a straight line. And there's, there's kids out there now who, if they stay fit and they stay, um, they stay honest with themselves and they stay positive and they've got the right mentality, then, um, you know, the sky's the limit. 100%. And, and mine's just one story of, you know, millions out there. I mean... You know, the Yannick Balassi story, you've got players that were um, actually that I came up with at Spurs. Um, you know, Harry Kane, for example, got released from Arsenal. Andrews Townsend got released from, from Tottenham um, earlier on, in, I think, in the foundation phase. And obviously, them two have gone on to, you know, have unbelievable Premier League and international careers. So it just shows sometimes the experts get it wrong as well. So, you know, that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it, it just shows, you know, people, experts have apparently built the Titanic, but the Titanic uh, sunk. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, 
human beings can get things wrong as well. So like you said, as long as people believe, as long as kids believe and, you know, ma- maintain that mentality of, you know, I can still do this. I'm going to keep working on my weaknesses, keep working on my game. And, you know, like you said, anything's possible for sure. Well, that, that, that segues quite nicely into obviously you are an academy coach at Tottenham now. And obviously I know there's going to be a lot of listeners that are quite interested in the things that you yourself or the club might be looking for. Is there a certain X factor that players tend to have that impresses you more than most? You know, how do you assess a player when you first see them and if they're good enough for, you know, Tottenham Hotspur? Um, I think the first thing you you look for is obviously the ability. Um, You know, the technical ability is is probably the the first, one of the first things for me that that you look at and has he got, um, those 1v1 qualities in and out of possession that, you know, can be effective. Um, but for me, a huge thing is is having that football personality. By that, I mean, um, like the, the traits that I spoke about before, are they honest? Are they authentic? Have they got integral qualities? Um, do they work hard? Can they run? So I think if they have the basic essentials, it gives them a chance. And I think if you have the basics and you do the basics really well, um, I think you can work on the, the, the technical side. So for me, the first thing that I would look at would be the football personality. And then, of, of course, the you know, 1v1 domination, are you good technically, etc., etc. But um, I think if you, you, you have to have the basics coming into an academy or any football environment, and that's, that's, a, that's a thing throughout any level. So with, the, with what you said there, do you think um, technical ability can be improved at a later age? Uh, like, like I said before, Richard, I think it's, it's, it's harder for sure because, um, you know, if, like, I, sorry, I'll take it back to my example. Again, obviously coming quite late into the academy, um, I, I did have my technical shortcomings um, through not being in an academy through, from nine years old upwards. And I'm not saying that's essential, but you do have you will have shortcomings if you're not getting, you know, the, the top coaching, I guess. Um, so it is tough, but like I, I did work on those, those uh, shortcomings and I did improve them to a standard that was worthy of becoming a scholar and a professional at the club. Did that um, maybe, you know, have a part to play in me not being at the club longer, possibly? Um, but, you know, I, I, I do feel that, um, you know, at 15, 16, you know, you, you can work on those te- technicalities, but I, I think it is harder for sure. And um, but, but you can work with those. But like I said, I got signed by the club um, because I had those raw attributes of, you know, I could run, I can tackle, I can break up play. I was honest. I worked my socks off every single training session, every single game. And ultimately, that's why I was brought into the club. And by that, it, it kind of helped the players around me. Um, so sometimes we look for that too. If a player does have those attributes, they might help. That, that player might help the group um, because it's something different. At the end of the day, you can't have, you know, 15, 16 players that are exactly the same um, because that's not football. You have to have a blend and ultimately that blend can help produce, you know, a, a, a player and, and get them into the first team as well. So, um, you know, there, there, there is, there is those, those things to think about as well. I think you're right. I think it's finding that balance, isn't it? We get, um, we get an awful lot of young players contact us. And um, one of our main messages, when, when players go on trials or when players have opportunities at clubs, we just say, 
for want of a better word, just just play normally. Play play what we call you know proper football. Don't don't go in there and try and be something that you're not. So it's not impressive uh, if you're going to go in and, and try and dribble five players and go in in the top corner, or you you're bringing out flip flaps and nutmegs every every thirty seconds. Um, I think there's obviously a space for that, and what we've got to get a balance right between showing your personality on the field, but then also producing the attributes and the things that a team needs to succeed. So like you said, that hard work, that running, working for your teammates. And I think sometimes young players can get confused and, and stuck in between. Like you said, we can't have we can't have four or five Ronaldinho's running around on the same yeah. field. We're going to need yeah. uh, players who and knit I, this I together. I think it's even harder it. now, Rich, with, with, with social media and um, yeah. With, with all the access to that and people see the tricks and flicks and, uh, and, and whatnot. I feel like, um, you know, like you said, a, a lot of players can end up losing their own identity and, and, and what they're naturally good at. Um, now, I, I knew personally that I was never going to be able to do what Andros done. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be able to beat three players, cut inside and stick it in the top bin. I couldn't do what Ryan Mason done, get it on the half turn, play forward every time. I couldn't do what, you know, certain players did on the pitch, but I knew what I could do. I was my 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 special strength was regaining the ball, short passing, breaking up play, uh, running round, and my leadership qualities. I knew those were my um, my super strengths, and and I played to them. And I think by playing to those, I, I ended up having a career in the game. So I think you know, especially young players, they can't get sucked into to seeing everything they see on on Instagram or you know with with whatever. They they just have to you know identify their own super strengths and, you know, ultimately use those to try and get a job at the highest level possible. I love that. Super strengths. That's a great way of putting it. I think one issue that you've just touched on there with the social media is I think young people or young players in general are watching less 90-minute matches than previously. So they're, they're consuming football through YouTube. They're consuming uh, bits and pieces. And obviously, we've all seen the great highlight reels. You know, Ronaldo's top 50 exactly. goals, Messi's individual goals and things like that. And these are great things to emulate. These are great things to be inspired by and, and try to emulate on the field. But I think uh, players could, could do worse than just going to watch their local non-league side for 90 minutes. 100%. And that's what, to be fair, um, again, we, 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 was, uh, we were sent on, you know, work experience. And we were sent on loans at, you know, 18, 19 years old, a lot of our age group and, you know, I think you look at those boys that have come through and, you know, those those loans and, and playing lower level football and, you know, seeing how men's football really is, you know, that I think that, that helped a lot of boys when they did come back. Um, a lot of them were ready to, to start training with the first team and, and being in and around, you know, that environment. So, you know, I, I don't think it harms it at all. And a lot of younger players need to understand as well you know not every player is going to play at the top level not every player is going to play in the Premier League in fact it's it's so slim so you know it, it like you said it does no harm going to watch you know games at League One Championship League Two non-league it's, it's you need the all-round um, football experience and, and and try and use those those bits that you learn and and put them into your game and identify like I said what you're good at try and make yourself a career and um crack on. I want to touch on something you said earlier, Sam, about how important it is for players to have a personality on the pitch. If it's when we obviously, if it's one thing that we've noticed about the current cycle of football, it's that it's um, 
very athletic and very tactically stringent. You know, a lot of clubs and teams want to play a certain way. And one thing that we've found is that sometimes that can level the playing field in terms of players because, you know, where a lot of it is about athleticism and the tactical structure, sticking to your principles, that, you know, a lot of players do the same thing. They've been told what to do, when to do it. Can that happen? Can that have, hamper a player's freedom and, you know, affect their ability to think on their own and come up with their own decisions? You know, is that a, is that a trend that you've noticed in football recently that perhaps we're producing less of the player that can produce the moment of magic on their own or think for themselves and more of the, you know, tactically structured, athletic, you know, players? Is that a trend that you've noticed as well? Um, I, I have, for sure, um, especially up in the first team. But ultimately, you know, you, if you're going to get your opportunity in the first team, you have to do what the gaffer tells you to do. Um, now, at, at, at development level for us and working in the academy, you've got to, you've got to give you know, the players what they need ultimately. Um, and in, in terms of you know, the technical side, tactical side, you, you've got to give everything to them and get, give them a, a wide range and broad horizon of, of, of those things and uh, things that they might expect when they do jump up to the first team. Um, but ultimately, it, it, it all depends on managers' philosophies. Um, but, you know, it's like, like you said, if, if you're going to get an opportunity in the first team and you're asked to, you know, Ryan Mason asked to go and play as a number four where, you know, pretty much his whole career has been played as a number 10. Um, you've got to do what the, what, the, what the gaffer says if you're going to get your opportunity and you have to be tactically astute if, you, if you're going to play at the top level. It's, it's as simple as that. Can that be an issue when, obviously, you're coming through and developed to play a certain style of football and let's say when you do get to first-team football and the manager wants a completely different thing, how important is it for player development and youth player development to be taught to play in a variety of ways and a variety of systems because as you said you know when you reach first team level football there can be different managers there can be different teams you go and play for how important is it to really broaden you know the horizon for players in terms of youth development yeah i think it's massive and you know we we look to do that at you know academy level uh, throughout the age groups we we give them uh, different formations to play in we encourage players to play in different positions um and also, we've had, you know, you know, players that have said, you know, I don't particularly want to play in this position. I don't want to play out wide. I'm predominantly a striker. I don't want to play centre half. I'm a right back. Um, I think players need to get out of that mentality um, because, like I said, you know, you can get that opportunity in the first team. Um, you know, Harry Redknapp calls Danny Rose up to the first team, plays against Arsenal, plays left wing, but been playing centre midfield um, within, you know, the reserves and under 18s been playing um, wherever and you know you get that opportunity you just have to go and play that's why it's like you said so important that you give them a, a, a broad horizon of you know playing in different positions playing in different formations because ultimately um, you don't know where you're going to end up and we've got to um, equip our players to you know to, to perform at the best ability they can and try and get the job at the highest level possible for them so yeah I think it's, it's, it's so important yeah, I think that's been one one um, main major improvement in um, in youth football and maybe football education um, in terms of the flexibility of players. Certainly, from my own point of view, I remember growing up, every single team played four four two. Absolutely, every team played four four two. There was there was no flexibility in that. You know, there were there were teams we would watch Serie A, we would watch the Italians play football, 
and they, they might play with a sweeper, they might play with three at the back. They would change things up a bit. It took a little bit longer to come over to, uh, to these shores, but now you're seeing players, young players coming through. You know, when I was 14 and 15, I knew how to play left wing and number 10, and that was it. And, and both of those in a 4-4-2 formation. Now you're seeing young players coming through at the top level, like clubs like, your, like yours at Tottenham, able to play three or four positions, able to adapt to different systems. Um, so I think that that's definitely added flexibility to players' tactical understanding. Um, so that's been an interesting interesting development in football. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, there's, there's so many different cases of, you know, players that I've played with that have broken through and um, I'm, I'm now playing at the top level in, in a position that they didn't play in when they was, you know, in, in the academy. So, you know, it, it just shows you have to have that, that um, be technically and tactically astute. And, um, yeah, you, you, made, you made a great point. I think, I think you're spot on, to be honest, Richard. Cool. I think um, one, one thing as, as well we've noticed is, is this, this um, trying to find the balance. I think it's a fine, fine balance between the tactical understanding and the physical um, attributes. The game's much faster now. Players are much stronger. Players are much, much fitter. Sports science, the rise of sports science is just phenomenal. Um, we're, you know, we're now talking about um, things we weren't even considering 15 and 20 years ago. And it's, it's normal practice now. And I think Maybe there's one thing we've noticed is there's the danger for the rise of sort of tactical awareness and flexibility, the rise of sports science to just maybe hinder those magical players, those, those geniuses who are sort of once in a generation, you know, like uh, Letitiaes, Rui Costas, Ginolas, players like this. Are we, are we going to see less and less of those players? Or do you think from working in the academy system with young players, do you think there's still space for those players to, to break through? Well, to be fair, I, I I do agree with you. I think the science side of football is, is you know, is, is is probably you know, at times for me, it's, it's a bit too much for me at times. Um, ultimately, we have to give our players what they need and give them the best opportunity to to be the best they can be. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's it's the ball at the feet that that for me matters the most, and it always has done for me. Um, and I don't think that will change. Of course, you need all the other bits around the sports science side, brilliant, perfect. But I don't think ultimately that can take for, you know, the ball at the feet and, and working on those things. Um, you see players that come into the academy from eight, nine years old, they have that, that love and that hunger and that, that, that will to just try things and, and show that bit of magic. And, you know, I, I, I don't like when that's coached out of kids or encourage kids to, to keep doing those things and, and, and to keep loving the ball ultimately. Um, do I fear it gets taken out of them um, at times? Possibly, yes. Um, but, you know, that's where us as coaches have to do our best to, to encourage those things. And like I said, going back to the super strengths, if they've got that in abundance, you have to play to their strengths because that, that, that player can earn the club billions of pounds and they can, you know, change their family's life by earning millions of pounds themselves. So, um yeah, it, it is a tough one because I do feel at times it can get, get coached out of players. But, um, you know, I think that all depends on the coach and, and, the, um, and the staff around them. Yeah, I think as well, we might, we might be seeing a, a development of a different type of creative player. So if you think, I mean, they're still coming through in the likes of, if you think of players like um, Jaden Sancho, for example, 
You know, this is a, a really creative player, born and bred on these shorts, so a great talent for England in the future. Now he's, he's showing how, how great he is on the continent, one of the best teams. Um, and for him and for a lot of creative players coming through, it's all about that 1v1 domination. Um, so we can certainly see that. I just wonder whether we'll lose the creative player who's able to put their foot on the ball, slow down and assess. Um, players like those Rui Costas, Raquel Mays, uh, PLOs. Is the speed of the game now um, allowing us to create 1v1 dominant players such as Sancho, but maybe not those slower players who are able to to dictate the tempo of a game or to see the different picture and be creative in a different way? Yeah, no, it's, just, it's a good point, to be honest. It's a good point. But um, football trends do change. Uh, of course, we've seen the rise in athletic addition of players has increased massively over the last 10 years. Um, but fo football cycles and, and football trends go around in circles. So um, we, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years or where the game's going to go. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it's, like you said, it's... it's, it's it's essential that if those players do have those those like you said Raquel May type qualities to, to slow a game down and and to pick good passes and still have that one v one domination but dictate tempo. I think you you know you've you've got to spot that and you, who who knows in the next five ten years you know that that might change. So yeah, you, you do have to look out for those players. As well. Obviously, something we've got to touch on, Sam, is um, you know it's recently been revealed that John McDermott. Um, We'll be leaving Spurs to, you know, go and join the England FA setup. Um, I know he's obviously been a huge influence on your career. I just want to ask you, sort of, what influence did he have on you as a player and as a coach? Because obviously, he was part of your journey as both. Yeah, John. John's been. Um, I've, I've said it before. I did a, I did an interview recently for for a paper, and um, they asked me the influence that he's had. John's been like a second dad to me. Um, you know, from from coming into the club in two thousand and five, John's always um, had time for me. I've always had massive respect for him. Um, the influence he's had on me, not only on the pitch but off the pitch as well. You know, in terms of um, respect, morals. Um, you know, he's he's seen me grow from a boy to a man. I, you know, playing under him, and and obviously the last five years working under him as a coach. Um, it's been an invaluable experience. I've learned so much from him um, in, in terms of his, his philosophy and the way he sees football. He, this is a man that's obsessed with, with the game and he continues to evolve with it as well. Um, produce players and, you know, you've only got to look at his, um, his, his, his CV in terms of players that have, that have gone through the academy under him and, you know, gone on to have a, outstanding Premier League and, and, and league career. And that's just not the boys that have made Premier League careers and internationals. Arguably the Harry Canes, Andrusses, Mason, Harry Winks. The boys that have also gone on to have careers in non-league and lower league football, like myself, um, ultimately that, that, that's, that's success as well. Because getting boys through the door, getting, you know, it's so tough people who aren't in the game and people, young kids that are aspiring to be footballers, it is so tough to make it in this game. Um, so for even those boys that have gone on to have success in, you know, careers at lower league football, that is success at the end of the day. And, you know, John's track record for doing that is, has been brilliant. And he stays in touch with all the boys 
across the board. I don't know how he manages to do it because all the boys that I, all the boys that I speak to that I, you know we might go and play power league in the summer and we get together quite a bit and um, all the boys goes Coxie, how's John? How's John? Yeah, no, he's he's good. John's fine. And um, they say, oh yeah, he rang me the other day, and I find that he his 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 pastoral care and his his welfare and and uh, looking out for players that have you know maybe been released or gone on to have careers elsewhere. He still stays in touch with everyone. You know, I think that shows real qualities of a top coach and, and a good human being to attributes that you need to be um, coaching at, at, at a top level and why he's had so much success. Yeah, no, completely. I remember the first time I personally met John a few years ago and he was almost as proud of the players that, you know, had gone on to have just, you know, football careers at other levels as he was as the ones that had broken through at Spurs. You know, he really cared about the player as the human aspect themselves and making sure that they became they, the best they could be and having a successful career on and off the pitch. I know I, I completely understand what you're saying there. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's funny because uh, he has that um, kind of that militarian uh, <laughs> stature about him and, and personality about him. And Tom Carroll, he, he came back into train um, a couple of months ago he, he's, when he left Swansea and um, we was up in the coach's office <laughs> And I'm sitting next to Tom now. Tom's like, Coxie, I'm still so scared of John. <laughs> he's like, I'm still scared when he's going to walk in the office. And Tom, this is a player that's had, you know, hundreds of uh, appearances in the Premier League and champs. Yeah. Um, it just shows John, he's, he's well respected across the whole board. And that's just not at Tottenham. That, that is in football. And I don't think, um, I don't think there's, there's many better um, at developing young players than John, I'd say, in the world. So, Wow. And I can certainly I can certainly back Tom Carroll up there. I remember I was very, very scared the first time I met John as well. He he doesn't suffer falls in a good way, of course, but no, I I completely understand where you're coming from there. Yeah. Yeah, no, John he's he's um he's been brilliant for me and obviously in terms of when I did drop down into non league, um John was, was quick on it, um, asking if I'd be interested in getting into the coaching. Um, he did actually put me in touch with someone within the Tottenham Foundation. And um, so if people don't know the, the foundation is, well, what I do is, is, is giving hours back to the community. When we moved into the new stadium, um, there was a scheme that was put on that, you know, Tottenham staff would go and give a certain amount of hours in the community to, for example, schools, um, you know, old age homes, um, stuff like that to, to go and put on hours and put on sessions and do bits for the community. John put me, he actually put me in touch with um, someone at the foundation. And um, that was my first job back coaching at the club. And I'm still doing that now. Um, so I've worked with, you know, kids with disabilities, kids that can't walk in wheelchairs, kids that can't see, um, you know, old age, uh, old age people. And so the above 60s, I work with school kids. And John is big on that as well. You know, you've got our own stripes and, start from the bottom and work with you know people and human beings from you know all different kind of aspects and backgrounds and I think he was big on that and is is, is massive on that and and that helps a, a coach develop um throughout their process and I did that for a couple of years before he you know he said do you want to take the under nines this season and that was my first academy job having the under nines and then um, obviously I've gone on to, to do the under-11s for a couple of years and now working with the 15s. 
Um, but also have, having that had that experience working in the foundation and still doing now, um, not only does it make me appreciate when I come to the academy, you know, it's, it's helped me work with personalities, with, with, with different um, characters um, that, that you come across within the academy. So, you know, I'm grateful for that too. Yeah, of course. As it is our first podcast and we are all involved in youth football, we have a new little theme or theme that we'd like to do and it's called Best Of. So as we're all involved in youth football, Sam, um, myself and Richard have decided our, it's only um, at that our first theme this week should be Best Of Academies outside the UK. So what we'd like to do is we'd like to sort of talk a little bit about academies that myself and Richard, two in particular, that have maybe worked with outside the UK and perhaps you can give your input on them and, you know, the ideas and if you've worked with them personally. So, Richard, do you want to start off with your first academy? Yeah, sure. So, um, we've been very fortunate over the last few years through the um, independent academy that I run. that We've got, um, got a lot of exposure to academies, uh, both here in the UK and then further abroad as well. So, the, the one that I've, I've most admired above all others, to be honest, is uh, Palmeiras from Brazil. So um, I was very, very fortunate uh, a few years back to make good friends with one of the, one of the Palmeiras under-18s coaches. Fantastic guy, brilliant guy, and a great coach as well. Really, really terrific coach, who I'm sure we're going to hear um, from in a, later, um, in a later issue of this podcast. Um, and I was fortunate uh, to spend some time at Palmeiras' academy, seeing over in Sao Paulo to see firsthand how they do things. And um, it was fascinating for me going to, for me, one of the homes of football, Brazil, and seeing how a, a, top, a top academy runs over there and trying to compare that to what we have over here at a Premier League Category 1 club. So the most fascinating thing to, to start with was, was the difference in, in terms of facilities. Their facilities were, were nowhere near what we'd see at, at a Tottenham or a Manchester City or, or Manchester United. They, you know, they've got basic facilities, but what they were producing on the field, uh, like, like you were talking about earlier, the importance of the ball at your feet, what they were producing from a young age was uh, absolutely special to see. So um, I would say the things that, the, the things that categorized them were um, not perhaps things we would think of from Brazilian clubs. It was not so much the, the flair and, and unbelievable creativity. It was the, uh, the hunger, the, um, I would say, aggression in a good way. Really aggressive players, really super aggressive. When I say aggressive, I mean forward thinking, wanting to impact the game, not just, you know, running around, slide tackles, left, right and centre. It was, can we get forward? Can we score? Can we get forward? Can we hit the other team? And then, of course, on top of that, um, the unbelievable ability on the ball from everyone in the team and then probably their, their willingness to take risks, their absolute willingness to take risks. Every game... Uh, seemed to be about scoring more goals than the other team. It was not, um, they wouldn't sit back. They never sit back from the first whistle till the last. It's go, go, go. And that's, that's bred into them from the under nines all the way up until the first team. And I think that was, um, that was fascinating to see. So I don't know if you've had any experience. Yeah, no, like I said, um, you know, I haven't had the experiences um, like you've had of recent years, but I think going back and looking back through my career and, and having the opportunity to have played, you know, clubs like Palmeiras and uh, Boca, obviously in, in, in Argentina, um, those South American type clubs, they do fit, you know, that, that philosophy, like you said, that that go for it, that go for it psyche. And, 
you know, irrespective of the, of the opponent, just, just, you know, trying to win your 1v1 battles, playing forward and, you know, trying to dominate and, and, and score goals ultimately. And they was always, you know, the, the, the toughest opponents we came against at academy and reserve level. Um, you know, even my personal experience, you know, in the summer just gone, we played against Panama in the Gold Cup. And, um, you know, they the aggression that they had in and out of possession were, was massive. So, um, although I don't have the the experience of what you've had of, of recent time, I, I can speak for obviously playing against them. They've always been, you know, tough, tough opponents. So, you know, it, it fits the bill of what you've just said. Yeah. Adding on to what, obviously, you were saying about Palmeiras, obviously, thanks to yourself, I was very lucky to do some work with Palmeiras this year and at the um, Under-16 Premier League Academy tournament and we actually played Tottenham. I won't mention the score, <laughs> but, you know, one little thing that I'll always remember in what they said was, or the coach Ruggiero you were speaking about earlier, is, you know, in England, we might do a possession drill where you've got to complete, say, a minimum of five passes before you can score. They would more often than not flip it on its head and do you've got to complete a maximum of five. And I just thought that was so interesting because that little adjustment makes such a world of difference because all of a sudden, yes, you're still looking to dominate the ball and prove you can keep it. But now all of a sudden you're having to look for goal. You're having to look to go forward, which is the aim of football. And now every single pass, you know, counts. So all of a sudden you have to be creative in how you create those chances and how you work off the ball and make sure that you are providing the options to go forward. You know, because that is the aim of football at the end of the day, isn't it? Is to get the ball down one end and keep it away from the other. And what it proved to me, actually, is that actually, you know, you can do both. You can teach players structure, you know, tactical regiment, but you can also encourage creativity, you know, decision-making. And that was the biggest thing for me that I found with, you know, the way Palmeiras works compared to perhaps some English teams that you look at. And I thought it was really, yes, really it's, interesting. It's possession with a purpose, isn't it? It's possession yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, especially at, at academy level, I think sometimes you know you can you can circulate the ball, which which is good, but ultimately, like you said, the game's about getting that ball, those two white posts at the end of the day, and, and defending the white posts. That's where the game's won and lost, and, and that's where millions of pounds are made. Yeah, exactly right. I know another academy, Rich. That obviously you're lucky. Well, no, not lucky. You've deserved it, of course. But you have worked with. Um, I haven't been able to yet. Is a German club, Rich. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's it's one of the big German clubs, but perhaps not one of the one of the most um, decorated, and that's Schalke. So I was fortunate a few years back to yeah Schalke, and um, I was really really fortunate to uh, go over there and, and visit their academy and spend time with their coaches, watch their training sessions. We had a few players go over there for an experience, um, to sort of to sort of train with their with one of their academy teams to give them a boost, and that was that was a a couple of weeks in experience. What I noticed there was um, that some of the same things. So the level of aggression, uh, the intensity uh, to go forward, to be on the front foot, to impose yourself on the other team. Um, but one of the most, probably the most striking thing was I was watching the, I think it was the under 17s so the under 16s warming up. And they were playing on a small, uh, almost like a hockey field, like half a hockey field, a hard court, outdoors. And they'd set up all different stations and it was a good 20 minutes before a coach came out and they were all working in different areas. They had 1v1s going on. They had um, possession drills going on. They had defensive work going on. They had technical practices going on. And it was like steam coming off the pitch. These kids were working so hard. And this was 
almost before the session started. So it's this this crazy amount of, of discipline to get out there. No coach required. They've obviously been drilled from a young age to just get on with it. You know what you're supposed to be doing and work in your little um, work in your little areas. Um, so that was that was fascinating to see. And then of course they've got such a great history of bringing players through. That um, yeah. Well, we we um, we had obviously Munich down. Um, at the start of the season um, for the UEFA Youth League um, when they played the under-19s. And, um, you know, I was very impressed with them um, in, in terms of, like you said, they, they the boys never looked tired. They were working their socks off, but they never looked tired. And, you know, each and every one of them, they, 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 all, they all played their part in the cog that made their team tick, really. Um, they, 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 were, they were very astute and very mature in their game. And, Physically, they were robust, but you know they they can handle the ball at their feet. They they were resilient. Um, I was very impressed with. Them. I haven't I haven't seen Schalke, but the, the German sides that I have seen this season have been top draw, to be honest. Yeah, completely. So Sam, if you don't mind, we've got a new little game or a game that we'd like to give a go. Um, now it's all been very friendly so far, but now it's time for a bit of a coach's battle. We're going to call it. So, Sam, me and Richard are going to go against each other and you've got to be the judge of the winner, if that's okay. No problem. All right, so what this game is, it is called Coaches Battle. I've got two bowls here. In one bowl, I've got five coaches, very famous coaches. And in another bowl, I've got five teams. I'm going to draw from each bowl, one for myself and one for Richard. So I'm going to have a coach, Richard's going to have a coach, I'm going to have a team and Richard's going to have a team. And we've got 60 seconds to give our argument as to why our team would work and you've got to decide the winner. Does that sound good? Okay, cool. Lovely. So, let me just... Because I am a gentleman, I'll pick yours first, Richard. So, bear with me. I'll go for the coach's bowl first. And you have got Diego Simeone, Richards. Not a bad one there. Okay. And I'll go for the team. I'll go for the team. And Newcastle United. So, you've got to explain in 60 seconds why Diego Simeone and Newcastle will work. So I'll go with my team, or sorry, my coach first. And I've got Nigel Pearson. And the team that Nigel Pearson will be managing is Borussia Dortmund. Okay, cool. So wow. we've got 60 seconds each. Richard, I'm going to let you go first. No pressure. Oh, oh yeah, so cheers, just... mate. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no pressure. Let me just get the stopwatch. So you've got 60 seconds to explain why Diego Simeone and Newcastle is a match made in heaven. You can go in three, two, one, go. Okay, Diego Simeone, uh, Newcastle United. Obviously, he's got this in the bag. Uh, where do we start? Well, simple to start with. Uh, neither team score many goals, so it's, it's a perfect fit. Newcastle don't score goals. Atletico don't score goals. So he's not out of his depth there. Uh, goalkeeper, goalkeeper, Dubravka and Oblak. They're used to saving the day, so again, a perfect fit. What else, what else, what else? Um, Argentina so big history of Argentinian players at Newcastle Simeone Argentinian legend surely that's got to be worth something and that's it mate <laughs> that's me done if that doesn't win <laughs> you've got 20 seconds to spare oh jeez okay uh, uh, he always dresses in black so he just needs a white tie and he's practically in the kit there you go <laughs> are you calling it there yes not too bad. You had eight seconds to spare, mate. Not too bad. Although I think I've got this one in the bag. Okay. All right. So let me just set the timer. 
So I've got to explain why Nigel Pearson and Dortmund will work. So I'll start the timer. I promise I'll be honest. I'll make sure I don't go more than 60 seconds. Not that I'll need to. There we go. So three, two, one. Right, Nigel Pearson and Dortmund. Um, well, Dortmund have a very dynamic profile of players. They like to attack early and aggressively with pace. And Nigel Pearson has proven that he can manage those sets of plays when he was at Leicester. You know, the likes of Jamie Vardy, Riyad Mahrez, very dynamic footballers. Um, over the years, Dortmund have perhaps missed out on a few titles despite having really intensive plays because they might be a bit of a soft touch. And Nigel Pearson has proven time and time again that he can he can certainly fix those issues and he can make a team more hardened. Um, what else? Um, he's already proven he can be successful at a team in black and yellow. You know, Watford, he's doing very well there. Um, and that's it for me as well. I'm done. <laughs> Just ran out of time. Not bad. Right, Not bad. so 60 seconds each. Sam, no pressure, mate. You've got to decide the winner. Who are you backing? Come on, Sam. Well, I, I feel Richards was tough. Um, and especially going first as well. Uh, I think, I think Harry, you did have the advantage by going second. <laughs> but I will yeah. say you probably, you probably did give um, more thorough answers than, than Richard and you didn't stutter so I think I'm going to have to go for you Harry to be honest yes. sorry Rich sorry Rich. sorry Rich that's 1-0 we're going to make sure we do this every week alright I'm going to keep track of these scores 1-0 the loser has to buy, buy a round next time we go out it's, that's not happening <laughs> <laughs> so obviously Sam before we wrap up I know that obviously in this time it is a very difficult time for a lot of people well for everyone really but, you know, some are affected more, more than others. And I know that, you know, you have set up a Just Giving page for the NHS. And I'd just like to, obviously, I'd like for you to talk a bit about that and perhaps how people can reach it and donate towards the cause you're giving. Because, obviously, it's a, a fantastic thing you're doing. Yeah, so, um, obviously, with, with the, uh, the unprecedented crisis, what we're all facing right now, um, you know, everybody's trying to do their part and, um, for me as well, um, you know, having friends that are, you know, playing at the top level and have got that um, that privilege to be able to donate um, and 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 help the NHS on on a larger, um, it doesn't take away the fact that I've, I I want to play my part as well, no matter how big or small that is. Um, and it was, I was on face, I I must have loaded a throwback of me at Tottenham. Which I usually do, but I uploaded a, I uploaded a picture of me with the long hair, and um, there was someone on on Instagram and Facebook, I think it was that that said, uh, "Coxie, you should grow your hair back." And I said, well, "I'll grow my hair back if you sponsor me um, to do it, and I'll donate all proceedings to the NHS." And they said, "Cool, let's do it." And you know, I put a poll out on Instagram, and you know, it came back that I that you know people were saying that I should grow my hair back for the NHS and and do some charity work. So that is what I've done. Um, I've also got the, you know, the, the, the story of, you know, my mum being in, in, in uh, intensive care and, you know, spending, I think it was, you know, 12, 13 weeks um, on the ward. Um, so, you know, this was just under 10 years ago now where, you know, the NHS saved their life at North Park Hospital. She had no expectation of surviving it. And, you know, they managed to pull her back ultimately from the dead. So um, I owe a lot to the NHS and, you know, the fantastic work that they do now. I thought there was um, no better reason for me to, to do this and, you know, donate the proceedings to Northwick Park Hospital, um, the hospital that saved my mum's life, and, um, you know, to, to help them fund 
um, COVID-19 equipment and, and protective clothing for them. So I'm going to grow my hair. Um, <laughs> it's in a terrible state at the moment. <laughs> um, I'm growing it. You know, I've, I've had the page up for, I think, four days now. And we've 10%, which is fantastic. Um, I'm going to keep pushing it and try and get as close to the target as possible. Um, but, you know, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's tough times it is for everyone. Um, you know, any little helps at the end of the day. And, you know, I know financially people aren't in the best place at the moment. So anything anybody has got, it all is all going to a, to a great cause. Um, hopefully we can help save some lives and, uh, you know, give back to the NHS. Yeah, most definitely, mate. Is there a platform where people, what platform can people, you know? That, that would be on um, a Just Given, uh, the Just Given page. Um, I'll drop the the um, the drop down is is the Sam Cox so I think it's just justgiven.com um, forward slash crowdfunding uh, forward slash the Sam Cox so um, yeah that that would be fantastic if anybody could spare anything that they have then you know that would be that would be brilliant and um, you know it's all going to a great cause and hopefully we can uh, well we will get through this this um, this phase that we're going through and there will be light at the end of the tunnel for sure brilliant mate brilliant. Guys, that's all we've got time for. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for having me, Richard. Appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, mate. Thanks for coming on. Top draw. Sam, top Sam's definitely saved it. I'll give us that. I'll give you that one, Sam. You've definitely uh, added to the first one. Um, Thank you, <laughs> no, mate. Sam, really appreciate you coming on, mate. Obviously, talking about your career, what you've accomplished, and obviously, you know, the Just Giving page. Um, it's fantastic things. So, no, thank you for coming on, mate. Thank you. Cheers, Harry. Cheers, Richard. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, mate. Cheers, buddy. Take care, mate. Stay safe. Hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to Sam and ourselves and we will be back very, very soon. I guess the message is stay home, stay safe and we'll see you soon, guys. Cheers. Cheers.